office, I surrounded myself with, I think it was around six people who I call them personal board of advisors. And they were basically people who expected nothing from me. They were getting no financial gain for spending time with me. They just wanted me to be successful. And each of them brought to the table a different set of experience and, and often compensated for skill sets that I didn't have or I was developing. And I spent time just rotating through them and talking with them and grabbing coffee with them on a regular basis and sharing openly where I was at. And I would recommend that is one of the most powerful tools that entrepreneurs and people who are, are joining startups can leverage to really help steer their success and their success of their business and the success of their careers. And it's one that I learned um, so much later in my career than I wish I did. So um, I would just recommend, you know, leverage this powerful tool of boards of advisors. This is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight-figure businesses, well, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com. We're always here to help. Now, today we've got a, another great guest on the podcast, Joe Kinsella. And uh, as a quick introduction to Joe, so he grew up in uh, central New York. Um, didn't uh, pay much attention as to where he wanted to go to college, hit the point where he's deciding uh, what, he, what he wanted to major in and deci- decided to go into computer science and, and get a degree there. Um, all the jobs were in Silicon Valley in Boston. So went to Boston and got a job at, I think it was Easel Corporation, um, and then was part of the first ever Scrum for those of you in the software industry, as well as the first uh, stand-up meeting. So for those of you not in the software industry, you probably don't know what that is. If you're in the software industry, you likely do. Um, left Easel, did a startup called ProCD, and then uh, did another startup called Firefly. Um, had a longer run with another company called Silverback. And then in uh, 2010, he was wanting to get into uh, cloud help, was told that was a bad idea. So he went to another company for about 18 months, um, decided that uh, that was enough for that. He was going to do cloud help anywhere. Anyway, um, went and did uh, build some products for another company, helped him build it, did VMware, and then uh, jumped over from there and is doing what he's doing to, or is doing what he's or started what he's doing today. So with that much as an introduction and hopefully mostly accurate, welcome on the podcast, Joe. Thank you, Devin. And it sounds so much easier hearing my career from your <laughs> words instead of how I lived it. Well, I, I take I take a much longer journey and a much longer career, and I condense it to thirty or forty seconds, and so <laughs> it makes my job easy, but it doesn't do the story justice. So, with that, let's unpack your journey just a bit more. So, tell us a little bit about how your journey got started uh, in Central New York. Yeah, so it sounds great. Yeah, so I um I, I growing up, I I really had one passion, which was baseball, and uh, I found a second passion when I was eleven years old. My dad came home with a personal computer. It was a Apple II and um, uh, dropped it on a desk. And I started playing with it and suddenly realized that it just, you know, it was like a creative spark went off. And I realized just the potential of what I could do in my mind with a computer. And, uh, and that really started, I think, my lifelong passion of uh, both writing software, but maybe more importantly, building products. And, uh, and so from there, I actually, um, you know, continued to write code and, and spend a, you know, a substantial amount of time around uh, computers. And the funny story of, of my early career was I didn't really think much about what I was going to college uh, for. And, and so like my default answer, if someone asked me was I was going to be an aerospace engineer. 
And uh, when my dad asked me when it came time in my junior year, I just, you know, spouted out aerospace engineer. And he's like, well, what about computer science? And I honestly had never heard of computer science as a major. And so in the end, I ended up going off to, um, uh, to school for computer science, but it was something that, you know, shortly before that, I uh, had no idea that was the trajectory my life was going to take. Now, one question, just a bit out of curiosity. So you say aerospace engineer, was that just kind of picked out of a hat random? This one sounds like a cool major, so that's what I'll tell everybody. Or what made you decide to go to aerospace or originally say aerospace engineer? So, so as a young kid, I was a bit of a space geek. So I was, um, you know, I used to um, gather everything I could on all the different explorations that of, uh, you know, of planets that, um, that, uh, that were happening at NASA. And I used to, you know, I, in fact, I actually used to talk with somebody who worked at one of the um, jet propulsion laboratories. Um, she lived in my hometown and, and she would share data that came out of uh, some of the JPL satellite missions. And, and so I, I just always assumed that would be the direction my career would take. Hmm. So now, so you, you get in there and say, okay, this is where originally I'm going to take. And then you say, okay, maybe I don't know if I actually want to be an aerospace and engineer, jumped over to computer science and, and went down that route. Now, as you're doing computer science, you're coming out of school. And I think when we talked a little bit before, you're saying, hey, I can either go to Silicon Valley or go to Boston, at least at that time. You know, that's kind of where the the, the jobs were or where the opportunities were. So then uh, how did you decide where you're going from there? Yeah, so when I landed in Boston, it was uh, it was during a recession. It, believe it or not, there was a time in the past when it was hard to get a job as a software engineer. Uh, it's, and that may be hard for most people to believe, but... But uh, I had trouble finding my first job, which is, um, you know, it was a, definitely an employer market at the time. And so I'd moved to Boston and I was looking for a job and, uh, it, you know, and I almost gave up and headed back to central New York. I, I think I'd spent two weeks looking uh, for a job unsuccessfully. And I finally got offered a job uh, from this company called Easel Corporation, which, as you mentioned in the intro, one of the odd historical facts of my career is that I was a member of the very first scrum team. So people in the technology industry know what agile methodologies are and probably are familiar with scrums and standups. And, and I didn't know at the time uh, that that was the path I was going on. I just happened to be right time, right place with a really interesting group of engineers that, that decided to do things differently in the industry. And, and so that was my first job. It, it got me started in the tech industry. It made me realize that I could actually make a living by writing software, which at the time I remember as a 22 year old was just a, you know, unbelievable concept to me that someone would actually pay me for doing what I was doing for free when I was 11 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was, uh, so I was, I was really happy. And I think at that point in time, I think I had uh, ruminating like this, this drive in the, in the back of my head that I wanted to start companies but I was just satisfied at that initial job just to have the opportunity to build great software products. No, and I think that, hey, if you can find something that one, will suit your passions or something that you enjoy and two, they'll pay you for it, that's a pretty good combination. So that's awesome that you were able to find that and be part of some of the initial, you know, things that are probably much more uh, 
you know, ubiquitous in the software industry now, which are scrums and stand-up meetings and everything else. And so sounds like it was a, a great opportunity. So now you went and worked with Easel for a period of time. Now, what made you decide to leave Easel and go to the uh, kind of more of the first startup, which was uh, the Pro CD that you went and worked for? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So when I joined Easel, it was right on the cusp of an IPO. So, so it had been a startup, but, uh, mm. but was no longer a startup. And, uh, and so I think what happened is over the years, uh, the company ended up in really strong competition with, with competitors in its market and then with um, Microsoft as well. And so I think uh, over time, the company really struggled and reached a point where revenue started to decline and the company started to go through layoffs. And, and I reached this point, I, I was with the company over four years, and I remember just waking up one day and just um, realizing that I'd be, become kind of disillusioned with the company over the last uh, couple of years I was with it. And I woke up one day and just realized that the company still had a great core. It still had these, this tremendously group of talented people, but I had changed. And it was really time for me to go do my next thing. And part of what I saw as issues with the company was me really hanging on to staying at this first company I was at too long. And so I decided to go off and do um, the first of several startups. I did a company called ProCD, which ended up acquired by Axiom, which is a big data provider based out of, I think, Arkansas. Hmm. And, uh, and that was a, a, you know, interesting company. It was all consumer-based software. It was a very, you know, big, big change from what I was actually doing at uh, Easel, which was really development tools. And, uh, and that kind of set me on this path of startups. And it was one of the things I think I realized later in my career that I found myself more comfortable in startups than anywhere else uh, that I could be. I just, I, I like the clean whiteboard. I like the, the hard problems that are unknown. And, uh, you know, and I really like the engagement with customers and trying to figure out how to deliver repeatable value to them that they really cared about. Hmm. No, and I think that makes sense. And, you know, it's interesting as businesses evolve, sometimes, you know, even the founders are getting to the point of saying, hey, this is a great company. I don't know that, I, you know, it's not, but it's not what I want to do anymore. It's, you know, not, you know, it's going in a different direction. And I think that happens from all the way from people that come on later to people that are the founders and you're saying, okay, I now, I, you know, this is a great company, but I want to go do something else. So you went to ProCD, went and worked for a startup and kind of, no, I don't remember, you know, how long were you there? And then what made you go on to the, the next startup? Because you jumped to, you did ProCD for a period of time, and then you did Firefly, and then you did Silverback, which I think were all startup or, or kind of startup companies. So Mike, what made you kind of progress through those various startups? That's right. So uh, so when I was at uh, ProCD, we reached a point where we were actually acquired by Axiom. And, uh, and at that point in time, it just seemed like a good time to uh, to look at my next thing. And so, so I, it also coincided with the emergence of the internet boom. So that was uh, the very early internet boom. This would have been around maybe 95, 96, somewhere in that time frame. And, uh, and so I decided that's the direction I needed to head. That was the next big thing. And, uh, and I, and I had some experience, which is I, I built out some interesting, um, you know, internet-based solutions at ProCD, and I figured I could transfer that over to what I would do next. And so I found this uh, spin out of the MIT Media Labs called Firefly, which is uh, a company that no one remembers today, but but would would probably s- maybe uh, a second or third to Easel Corporation was one of the highest density of talents uh, you know that I've ever worked with at a company. Mm-hmm. In fact, Firefly has one little footnote in history, which is if you 
read any biography of Amazon, you'll, you'll often see Firefly mentioned as one of the early recommendation engines that uh, Amazon used in its very early days in the 90s. And, uh, I, you know, and I had a, a relatively short run there. I, I built out some really big back-end distributed systems, uh, you know, thoroughly enjoyed it, and, and just reached a point where I just realized what I wanted to do was work for myself. And I'd, at that, by that point in time, I had really acquired a deep expertise in how to big, build big, big distributed systems that could support high traffic at mm-hmm. a time when everybody in the world seemed to be looking for somebody who could actually help them build high traffic websites. So, so at that point in time, I rolled out and I started my own consulting company, uh, which actually led to Silverback, which is I ended up at the end of the dot-com boom, uh, I ended up uh, closing down my consulting company to go join one of my clients, which was uh, Silverback Technologies. Okay, no, it makes sense. So, you know, you got a good opportunity with one of the clients and it's kind of goes in the direction you want. And so you say, okay, move over to them and you do Silverback. Now you stayed with Silverback for a reasonable amount of time. And I, I can't remember is why you're at Silverback or after you or left Silverback, you got into the cloud computer, you started to get interested in cloud or cloud health. And so with that, you know, kind of how did Silverback go when you're going, you know, kind of following one of the clients and doing that or that journey? And what made you kind of decide to say, hey, maybe I'm going to at least start thinking about doing my own business? Yeah, that's right. You know, I think I would say uh, I joined Silverback. It was really my first true foray into the infrastructure market, which is, you know, some people call it infrastructure management or IT management. And I, uh, including the time post-acquisition, it was probably a decade of my career uh, spent in that space, uh, which made me a deep expert in the area of infrastructure management. But I joined Silverback, and I would say Silverback was a, um, it was a, you know, middling success, which is, you know, we we ended up uh, building a business that was delivering remote management and monitoring to, um, to, to uh, manage service providers and bars and, and resellers. And, and built a uh, you know a fairly fairly decent sized business with good growth and overall healthy business and ended up in 2007 acquired by Dell and mm-hmm. it was part of an initiative by Dell to start to deliver managed services and uh, and so I spent three years at Dell uh, I, you know, I I like to say I spent two years you know two of the three years I can explain and the third I don't really know why I stayed uh, mm-hmm. it was just one of those uh, situations where. Dell had a lot of great people, uh, you know, tremendously, you know, uh, valuable company, a lot of respect for everything that's been done at Dell. But at the time, Dell wasn't a software company. Dell was very much a hardware integrator. And it was a very hard thing to be a software person in a hardware integrator. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, I think Dell today in 2021 is a completely different company than the one that I saw in 2007. So I spent um, three years there, and I think I was two years in when I realized that the next big thing, maybe a year or two in, I realized the next big thing was cloud computing, and it was very much like the internet. It was going to be this tsunami that was going to sweep across every single industry, and it was going to transform everything uh, that we did, and and I realized that probably somewhere at the intersection of my two areas that I, I was deeply interested in, infrastructure management and cloud computing, was probably an opportunity to start my next business. So, no, and I think that uh, definitely makes sense. So you say, okay, you know, but one, I think that, you know, working in a, as a software person, a hardware company is always a bit harder to, you know, even if you're great at your job, it's just, you know, it's a different culture and trying to prove your value, especially at the mindset is, hey, we're, 
selling hardware, that's what we do to say, hey, there's a value in software. It can always be a bit of a pull in or, you know, pull in tug. Um, but then in addition to that, you're saying, hey, I think this is the next upcoming area. So you say, okay, cloud computing in general, and then cloud health is going to be an up and coming. And I think you said you're going to get started, or you're getting excited about it and starting to explore it. And then you have people start to tell you it was a bad idea. So you kind of put it back on the back burner for a period of time before later revisiting it. Is that right? That's right. So in 2010, I started to go out and talk to venture investors and I talked to you know people I knew in the industry. And, and the idea was to build a um, monitoring and management company that was just purpose built for the public cloud. And that was uh, considered a really bad idea by almost everyone I spoke with. In fact, in, you know, most investors told me that they really thought the market opportunity was in the private cloud, not the public cloud. And so that I was, I, you know, I really, if I redirected my idea towards the private cloud, maybe I had an opportunity. And I think I, I, I took that at the time, it was one of those things where you realize uh, entrepreneurship requires a certain amount of emotional fortitude that you have to push through a lot of the no's to get to the yeses. And, uh, and I made the mistake of just believing um, uh, that maybe they were right, maybe I was wrong. And so my plan B was I was recruited by a former board member to um, take a VP of engineering role in this you know, fast growing startup uh, that was doing archiving in the cloud. And uh, as that became my plan B, as I decided to join that company, and I, you know, I think my entire time at that company was 18 months, but I was six months in and I realized once I was scaling in the public cloud, that everything I wanted to build was exactly what the market needed, that I, I effectively was customer zero of what I wanted to go build. And, and it was just, you know, great affirmation. I think it was affirmation that I needed to have that final bit of courage to just, you know, make the move and go start my next company. No, and I think that so he's, you know, and I think that there is always that bit of courage that, you know, it takes to go out on your own. And, you know, sometimes if, if you have a lot of encouragement, it makes it easier. If there's a lot of naysayers that are saying, no, it's, you, you shouldn't do it or it can't be done or you're going to fail, then it makes that already high level of anxiety that comes along with starting your own business even more, more difficult. So nonetheless, so you, you said, okay, I'll, I'll go and work for this other job for a period of time, did it for 18 months to say, okay, you know, got to go do my own thing, got to go try it out, even if it fails or doesn't work. And so you uh, go and you start to do your own, you know, start to say, okay, I'm going to start a business or I'm going to do a startup and, and do my own thing. So how did that go? How did that start? And was it rocky? Was it difficult? And I think you just, it was just this last May, if I remember right, or it was fairly recently you decided to go that route. Is that right? Yeah. So, so when I, when I made this decision, it was uh, 2012, I actually quit my job. I had uh, two boys in elementary school. I can't think of a worse time to actually be quitting my job. Uh, but I quit my job and I just decided that somehow I was going to make this happen, that I was absolutely certain that I was right with the idea I had in 2010 and I was going to make it happen in 2012. And uh, so I started writing code. I started running um, experiments, um, you know, lean experiments, trying to prove out different hypotheses I had in the market. And I, you know, I think I took a very different approach. I think one of the uh, great strengths of the approach that I took is a lot of people talk about pivoting, uh, you know, and you have to pivot your idea, you know, when it when it's not working or you've hit some some dead end. What I did is I called it telescoping, which is I started with this big market. The big market was the intersection of cloud computing and IT management, and then I just ran experiments to telescope down to the specific business that I wanted to go start. And that process probably took, 
you know, maybe, maybe it was five, six, um, uh, seven months, somewhere in that, that range where I was kind of in the wilderness trying to figure this idea out, working with some early prospective customers, you know, until I was able to close my first deal. And, uh, you know, and it was one of those uh, unusual moments where I really hadn't even incorporated the business. I had no business entity. I know as a, you know, as a lawyer, you're probably thinking, what were you thinking? And, uh, and when I closed my first deal, I realized it was by accident. I didn't plan to close my first deal. And, and I had to scramble and do all the logistics of putting in place a proper legal entity to go build the business. But it was, uh, you know, probably took, you know, several months of writing code, building product, working with customers before I really un understood and had confidence that I knew there was a business idea here that, you know, a fairly substantial business could be built around. Hmm. No, I think that uh, that definitely makes sense. And so you started out doing that and, you know, did it go well? Was it a rocket ship to the top and just loved every minute of it? Was it bumpy and, uh, you know, kind of the up and downs or how did it go? Yeah, I think everybody's elevator pitch when you have a uh, successful company is that it was it was up and to the right and just tremendous success and everything went well. The reality is, is when you peel that back, it's it's always a struggle. And in cloud health was no exception, which is just to put it in context. You know, it grew to be one of the um, largest SaaS companies in our in our uh, segment of the market and uh, grew from just me to over 500 people over the course of six years. So it was this it was a tremendous rocket ship. But before that rocket ship happened, it took about 14 months of really hard work after I closed the first two customers to really get to true product market fit. And it was just, you know, every day, every week, pushing through issues to get to product market fit and the ability to repeatedly, you know, sell, market, deliver that value proposition to customers. And then after that, the up and to the right happened. And you could see the hockey stick in our uh, revenues after that. And then, of course, you confront the next set of issues, which is in the growth phase. Uh, it's very hard to constantly double your headcount. It's very hard to constantly double your number of customers. And, you know, when you do that, the, the problem of doubling results in some things continuing to work that you were doing and some things that you were doing just completely, you know, the wheels fall off the, the, the vehicle as you, you know, if you continue to do things the way you used to do them. And, and so we had all the challenges of growth. And this went on through... Uh, 2018, uh, and we were acquired by VMware, um, you know, Palo Alto-based public company VMware in 2018. And, uh, you know, and then after that, continued to grow, um, you know, inside VMware until I uh, left in May. So now you did that, and I think you were at VMware for a couple of years, is that right? Yeah, two and a half years. So now, you, so you, you know, you grow that business, gets acquired by VMware, and, you know, that's always, you know, in quotes, the, the dream, right? You get you get acquired by a big business, you make a ton of money and you go buy your island in the Caymans and then you're retired for, you know, for forevermore and you don't have to worry about life because you made your exit, which is, again, not uh, probably the, the, the reality for most businesses, not that you can't make an exit and it can't go well, but, you know, there's definitely a you know, a story after that of what, or what you do once you make an exit. So you make your, you get acquired by VMware, you work for them for a couple of years. And then, you know, what made you decide, okay, I'm going to leave VMware, kind of go back out on my own, do this again, go through the crazy of, of or craziness of starting a new business. And how did you decide what you were going to do? And I know that was a whole bunch of questions, but kind of fill us in right. what happened as you were leaving VMware, what made you decide to do it and, and how yeah. it's, how it's gone. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I have to say, I, I actually, um, I, I actually enjoyed my time at VMware more than I expected because I'm, I'm more of a small company person, and being in a big company environment, I didn't know I would enjoy it. But I think I woke up one day and just realized that what my mission in life is, is to build products that matter to customers with people I like to do it with. Like that's, in many ways, that's what I was doing without knowing it when I was, um, you know, 11, 12 years old. And, and I had the you know, luxury of being able to do what I was passionate about as a young kid my entire professional career, but I was no longer doing that, which is in, instead I was running a large organization and, um, you know, and, and it, it, it was really straying really far from what motivated me. And so I realized it was time to move on. So I gave six months notice and recruited my replacement and tried to make a nice clean transition. Uh, because I have, I, to this day, I still look at cloud health as my baby. It's, you know, it's, it's my passion. I created that, that business and I want nothing more than it to succeed for decades into the future. Hmm. But for myself, I need to go on and start something new. So I took the summer off. Um, uh, just, you know, the process of building companies uh, has a mental and physical toll that it can take on you. And uh, so I really enjoyed the time off and just being able to wake up and spend my, my day the way I wanted to spend my day for a period of a few months. Mm. And I'm in the early phases now of um, going back and starting my next business and super early. It's, uh, it's just idea at this point. And I'm starting right where I did at Cloud Health, which is I'm, I'm starting to run experiments and start to you know, hone the idea. And again, following this telescoping process to, to figure out, can I find the next big opportunity that I want to go dedicate the next decade of my life to. No, sounds like it's an exciting time. It's always, you know, sometimes that's both the scariest time, but also the, the most fun time as you're kind of in that, hey, what am I going to build? What am I going to do next? And what is that going to look like? And then, you know, getting that up and going and trying it out and testing it are all kind of exciting and scary all at the same time. So definitely wish you um, good luck on that. Any, any teasers without giving away too much as to where you think you're headed or what you're going to do? Yeah, I would say that I left several um, areas of the infrastructure management market unsolved over my years. So over you know, the last couple of decades, I feel like there's some problems that, that 20 years ago were a problem in infrastructure management that are still not solved today. And I think I'd like to go find out if the market's ready for a, a radical transformative solution to some of these problems. And so, so that's where I'm spending my time. The answer may be no, by the way, Devin, which is you know, I think one of the key things about good experiments is it's almost like a scientist, which is you can't bias it with an assumption that you're right. You really have to go into it and let the data and the facts actually speak to you as opposed to, you know, your, your gut feel um, uh, steer you. All right. Well, it'll be an exciting journey and we'll have to, to catch up in, uh, in a few months and see how things continue to progress for you. So with that, now as we've kind of got towards, you know, where you're, or where you started and, and hearing your journey and bringing us up into the present, it's always a great time to uh, transition and uh, ask the two questions I always ask at the end of each podcast. We'll jump to those now. So the first question is, is along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it? I would say, I, I would say that maybe the worst business decision I made was coming out of school um, I, I was an introvert. I was risk adverse. I was, um, I was uncomfortable putting myself out there. 
And so I decided to spend the uh, you know good part of my career associated with startups and in the trenches building startups, but not building my own startups. And so I think maybe one of my worst business decisions is I don't think I'm fundamentally more capable now than I was 20 years ago. And I think I could have been just as successful as starting businesses back then. I just didn't, I, I lacked the confidence. So I think to anyone else out there, uh, sometimes you just have to put yourself out there and failure is really not as bad as it seems. And, uh, you know, and at the time, I think that was one of the things where I just assumed, you know, starting a company and failing was going to uh, be a, you know, a black mark on my, uh, my professional career and my professional success. And in many ways, it's a bad badge of honor. It's an opportunity to, uh, you know, really have distilled, concentrated learning that makes you better at what you do next. No, I think that, you know, there's, it's always scary to fail. You never liked, or people generally like to avoid the topic just because it always is kind of, you know, feels like an open wound in some ways it can be. But on the other hand, you know, there is a badge of honor of, hey, I did a startup, it failed. I learned these things from it. And when I got or got back up and did my next one, I was that much better for it. So I definitely think that the, that is something, you know, a mistake to be made, but a, a great one to learn from. So second question is, you're talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what'd be the one piece of advice you'd give them? I would say build a, your own personal board of advisors and everybody's familiar with, you know, boards of directors for companies. But I think the smartest thing I did with cloud health is I surrounded myself with, I think it was around six people who I call them personal board of advisors. And they were basically people who expected nothing from me. They were getting no financial gain for spending time with me. They just wanted me to be successful. And each of them brought to the table a different set of experience and, and often compensated for skill sets that I didn't have or I was developing. And I spent time just rotating through them and talking with them and grabbing coffee with them on a regular basis and sharing openly where I was at. And I would recommend that is one of the most powerful tools that entrepreneurs and people who are, are joining startups can leverage to really help steer their success and their success of their business and the success of their careers. And it's one that I learned um, so much later in my career than I wish I did. So um, I would just recommend, you know, leverage this powerful tool of boards of advisors. No, and I think that's great. And I, I like, you know, it doesn't always have to be a paid board of advisors or, you know, and sometimes it is, sometimes it's you have a board on the their company, but even just having those people that, you know, whether it's bouncing ideas off of whether it's, you know, thinking or having someone that can help you think something through or, or reel you back or give you a different or perspective, all can definitely be helpful and is definitely worthwhile to find those people in your life that you're able to um, have or have that feedback and have those people to go to can make a big difference in the business. So definitely is a great piece of advice. Well, as we wrap up, if people want to reach out to you, they want to be a, for the new business, as you get it up and going, customer, a client, they want to be an investor. Maybe they want to be your first employee. They want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above. What's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more? Great. So you will find everything I'm thinking if you go to joekinsella.me, which is I, I uh, tend to uh, post whatever is interesting me, both on the personal side and professional side there. And it also has my full contact information, including my email, as well as uh, my mobile number. 
All right. Well, I definitely encourage people to reach out to you, contact you, find out more and maybe make a new best friend. So with that, thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, we'd love to have you. So feel free to go to inventiveguest.com, apply to be on the show. A couple more things. Make sure to like, make sure to subscribe, make sure to share because we want to make sure everybody knows about this awesome episode. There are awesome episodes that we are able to share great journeys with. And last but not least, if you ever need help with patents, trademarks, or anything else with your business, feel free to go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat. Well, thank you again, Joe, for coming on the podcast and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thank you, Devin. Appreciate it.